Hello and welcome to Harmony Beyond Music. What is Harmony Beyond Music? Well, it's a series of podcasts and concerts exploring 300 years of classical music and the ways in which music has intersected with the world beyond the notes. The first concert in the series takes place on the 8th of December at the World Heartbeat Embassy Gardens in Nine Elms in South London and it features the cellist Richard Harwood and the pianist Reiko Fujisawa and together they'll be playing music by Beethoven, Arvo Pert, Pablo Casals, Bohuslav Martinu and Mieczysław Weinberg. My name is Peter Quantrill and I'll be giving live introductions to the music at the concert. On this podcast though I'm joined by Andy Pratt to talk about the idea of harmony beyond music and the themes that underlie the entire series. Andy is Professor of Cultural Economy at City University in London. He analyses cultural industries across the world in major projects affiliated to international organisations like UNESCO. It's a real privilege to be discussing cultural histories with him and how music has been a social force, a means to express oppression, protest, control, freedom, much more. So, Andy, hello. Hi, thanks very much. Nice for having me. I guess what I'm going to be contributing is the sense of the beyond the music and uh, trying to complement what uh, you have been uh, talking about uh, with more of the social and political uh, context or understanding of music. And uh, let us think about uh, those issues beyond the notes um, on the stave um, and think about the way in which we have understood uh, music, the way that society uh, helps us uh, think about music as well. So maybe we should be unpacking the title, Harmony mm. Beyond Music, because uh, as a writer on music, then when I think of the term harmony, uh, I use it all the time to mean music where you can hear more, one, more than one note at a time. We, a chord. Uh, a chord could be very simple. It could be made of just two or three notes, but it could also be much more complex than that. And likewise, it could be consonant where all the notes agree with each other in according to prearranged rules sure. of harmony. Or it could be hugely dissonant, clashing. Mm -hmm. Uh, and I guess I felt when we were coming up with the title of Harmony Beyond Music that I felt that this would be an effective way of uh, making an analogy mm. between music and social forces. So In can you explain I, I think, what I, you think harmony means? Yeah, I think that analogy works, uh, works well, but obviously it's nuanced in different ways uh, when we talk about the, the social world. So in one sense, it is about voices. Um, in the same way. It's about whether it's an individual voice or whether you've got multiple voices and, as you say, harmony is about whether people agree or disagree and the degrees of disagreement uh, that are involved in there, which is what we see in the world of, uh, of politics more generally, but just in terms of the more the social realm. So those issues about, uh, about harmony are about how we express, how we get seen or heard as different uh, populations in a way. So that might be associated with our um, background, our social position, uh, etc. 
and I guess with all forms of uh, both of music but also in terms of when we're talking in the world is that we have norms about what is uh, acceptable behaviour, what is the topic that we're talk to, talking about, etc. In music, some of those are, are quite rigid in terms of the rules uh, and uh, that give us the interpretation. And likewise, we see that in terms of uh, social situations as well. So the analogy works quite well, um, but it does remind us, I guess, about the degrees in which we can get included or excluded. And I think that's one of the things when I think about harmony, it's not just about uh, um, audiences in terms of what we hear, but it's also about who produces the music. So that's about being seen hmm. in this way, hmm. whether those audiences recognise themselves in um, what they're hearing as well, hmm. and the dissonance between that, that often, which is what is quite interesting, is that we like to experience things that we don't already know, etc. So those contrasts between that uh, in a wider extent about what harmony means. And I, I, as I say, I think it is in terms of uh, what we're often interested in is the range and variety of, uh, of musical experiences, both within the classical tradition, but also outside the classical tradition as well. And these are sort of rule-bound behaviours in a way that are to do with history and tradition, etc. Um, but also there, in terms of, of, uh, of thinking about social harmony, we're thinking about this wider variety of music as well. So when we're thinking about a particular tradition, we're interested in how that tradition uh, develops, but also the things that are included or excluded beyond it as well, which are often a stimulus for our discussion. So that's so interesting. So you, you think then that as well as when we perform a piece of classical music, uh, when we consider the harmony within the music, we can also be quite quickly considering the harmony of its relationship with the audience of its time, as well as the harmony of its relationship with a contemporary audience. Yeah, I think that's what makes it all so interesting in terms of, uh, of listening to uh, a piece of music, uh, for example, is that we are often thinking about how it hits us at the moment. Yeah, we have our own contemporary concerns, uh, etc., about, uh, about how that fits in. But also we're thinking about what about the time when it was produced. Yeah. And of course, there's always this dialogue between the two in terms of uh, um, whether it's appropriate now or whether it was appropriate in the past, uh, what the conditions of its uh, production were in the past and what they are now. All those things come together. So we can't simply make a, a ruling that th this is appropriate or not, but there's always a dialogue there. And that's what makes it so interesting. Every piece of music that we produce, there are the notes on the stave, but also then there are how it's produced yeah. uh, in the moment. Uh, each different performance is different. Each interpretation is different. It gives us a wide scope uh, for discussion of these. But I think uh, what uh, I'm really interested in is, is that context that we bring to the understanding of, uh, of music and the consequences that it has for us as listeners uh, in terms of uh, how it makes us feel, but also how it affects us in terms of our social relations as well. And that dialogue, I would say, is mirrored by the dialogue between head and heart, or gut and intellect, mm. that we experience when we listen to music. Uh, there are many people who would say that they experience music as 
a very emotive force. And yet, at the same time, I think they can under, it can be underestimated the degree to which the listening to it is a mental, intellectual process. Mm. And I think that, that, that's a really important part of it, because in a sense there's an there's a abstract notion to the, um, the understanding of music and the way that uh, uh, the formal components uh, link together, but then there's the emotional response as well. And sometimes that emotional response is attenuated by the intellectual understanding, but sometimes it just gets us yeah. uh, there yeah, in that way. So there's this tension, and of course audiences are different. Not all, all audiences have had a formal... Um, education in music and uh, and uh, they are approaching it in different ways yep. so I think those those uh, there's always the always the balance between those um, and I think you know there are therefore things that uh, as uh, people who are experiencing this music that uh, draw us in to that for example um, whether um, the uh, performers look like us, us. For example, yeah, uh, do they represent my, uh, my my sense of myself? Whether that's by gender, whether that's by ethnicity, whether that's by social background or whatever. Whether you feel connected in this way. So connection, of course, is an emotional element of where the music takes you, but it's also about what we see and what we experience as well. And therefore, that's why there's a lot of concern uh, for people of say actually do um, uh, contemporary orchestras, for example, represent our population as a whole? Um, do they um, um, show us um, in terms of the whole variety of our experience? But also, um, I mean, people would say that the Western classical tradition is only a very, very small component of all music, etc. Um, and therefore, you know, we, we, we need to recognise that um, classical music itself is not closed. It is constantly looking outside for inspiration from other forms of music, whether they're folk music or traditional forms, etc. Um, so I think that when we're thinking about harmony, we're thinking about uh, bringing the broader society uh, together and recognising that that is a resource for us all rather than it simply being a, a complication in some way. And, and this is one of the things that uh, I'm really passionate about is in the sense that uh, preserving the access to the diversity of musical forms and musical traditions is a resource for populations in terms of the future for our, for our children and grandchildren. If we don't preserve that variety, then we have lost, and sometimes for, formally lost altogether, certain forms of expression. And that is a human resource. It's part of our um, inheritance as a, as, a, as a world, is that we need to hang on to these things. Um, and therefore, whatever traditions they are, they're really important because they're things that we can rediscover in the future. They're part of this uh, constant uh, um, sort of fulfilment of uh, our aspirations for expression of ourselves as being human beings. I think that's, uh, you've touched on quite a few things there that uh, fascinate me. I, I agree with you that it's very much a both and um, dialogue, that it's not an either or situation where one kind of music or one kind of appreciation, appreci appreciating of music has to exclude other musics or other kinds of appreciating it or other kinds of listening to it. Uh, I would like to think, for example, that in one of the concerts of Harmony Beyond Music, where we are juxtaposing 
Beethoven with African-American composers, uh, that we're not performing uh, a strenuous exercise of inclusion, but in fact, if anything, we're recovering ways in which black musicians have been working within the Western classical tradition for centuries, actually, ever since Beethoven wrote the Kreutzer Sonata for the black violinist George Bridgetower. Uh, this is a living dialogue. Uh, it's one that has been going on for 200 years and longer, and that we actually forget that at our peril, as you say. We're mm. constantly, I think, those of us working in cultural industries, um, we are working against the danger of forgetfulness mm. of our own history. And I think that, that, that history and that forgetfulness and that, that dialogue is a wellspring of creation and innovation, uh, really. So it's often that we, uh, that in terms of composers and in terms of audiences, it's this context. And the context is what's come before and what might come afterwards. And you're working with um, something that is both similar to what's been heard and what's different. And that's what gives us the, it's the grist in the mill, in a sense. It's uh, what transforms um, things. So this a greater awareness of um, the past conditions and the past experiences and the current conditions are a key element um, to this whole process in a way. And I think that's sometimes we forget uh, when we think about the classical tradition as though it's preserved in aspect, mm. as though it is mm. just this thing. But it is, as you say, a living and breathing um, thing that is constantly changing, um, but is also in this dialogue, uh, both with the past and the present, and also with what's included and what's excluded. Because uh, I think most people uh, in the both in the performances and those that are really keen audiences, are always interested in those boundary conditions, the things that are just on the edge, because that's where invention, that's where um, transformations often occur. Genius and lies. Absolutely, yes, yeah, yeah. And the, 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 the ability to make that balance uh, or make those transformations is what is exciting about listening uh, to music uh, often is where someone tries that extra step that we didn't think was possible or we hadn't thought of um, and that gives us that tingle of excitement because they pulled it off. Well, they failed, <laughs> which also is interesting as well. Well, we're quite used, aren't we, to thinking of um, the masterpieces of classical music as a part of a canon. Mm. I am unapologetic defender of the canon myself uh, as constituting a library of music that will be worth listening to for as long as music mm -hmm. is listened to, which doesn't mean it can't be added to, but at the same time it's fascinating, isn't it, the way that that by nature of establishing a canon that gets thought of as being central mm -hmm. to um, a particular stream of musical appreciation. And yet, at the same time, just as we explore in the series, I think, with uh, different composers and different pieces that come into it, actually, lots of those composers, lots of those, uh, lots of the boldest pieces that they wrote came from working on the margins of their mm -hmm. own time, came from, 
frankly, annoying people. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think uh, that's one of my interests as a, as, a, as a sociologist, in a sense, is about the way that uh, um, all organisations have rule-bound behaviour and the creation of the canon, the creation of uh, particular norms, etc., are essential for progressing a particular activity. Yeah? But at the same time, the transgression of those rules is also important in that way. So it's, as you say, it's not, neither either, either or, it's actually both. Mm. Um, and, uh, you know, this uh, tension between mastering the rules, but then also transgressing them, is um, one of the uh, key uh, ineffable elements about, uh, about, about creation. Create creativity in all fields, Absolutely. surely. Yeah, yeah. In leadership, in yeah. scientific endeavour. Yeah, yeah. And, and the, that, so this, this issue about, uh, I think we, that uh, we shouldn't get over um, prescriptive about harmony. Um, and as you would know in a musical sense as well, there are different interpretations of what harmony is as well. So, uh... <laughs> Well, that's it. And I would like to think that what we're going to do in this series is to a degree challenge the, the idea that can be quite commonplace that harmony does in itself mean agreement. Mm -hmm. People, don't they, tend to talk about being harmonious yeah. as meaning everyone in accord with each other. But actually, a fruitful harmony often includes wrong notes as well as right ones, doesn't it? Yeah, and I think in a social setting as well. I mean, this is the, 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 exactly the same, is, mm. is that uh, there's never any one singular agreement, um, but it is about uh, creating new admixtures of uh, different points of view and creating, in a sense, new harmonies. Um, and in this sense... That is part of a, of a social creation, is that we find new ways to live with one another. Um, and that is a new harmony. Um, and that is, for me, um, the great thing about the human condition, is that we're able to do that. Otherwise, uh, we wouldn't have uh, a very long life. <laughs> <laughs> so, Andy, we should at least touch on some of the topics that Harmony Beyond Music will actually be covering during the course of seven concerts. Uh, I've talked a bit uh, about uh, black musicians, African-American composers mixed up with Beethoven. So I think racial harmony is going to be one of the central themes. Absolutely, yeah. I think uh, gender as well is another, and particularly women's uh, participation and role in music as well. I think this was... Uh, um, another significant uh, uh, topic that we're going to cover as well. Well, we've certainly got lots of good music by women composers uh, from Germany, from the UK, from France, uh, and not just uh, 19th century composers mm. and not just 20th century composers. But I think that was the point of, one of the points of coming up with Harmony Beyond Music, that we didn't simply create unified themes but we created hmm, a harmony be between these themes yeah. so that sometimes we have uh, we have black 19th century composers or even 18th century composers talking to women composers and male composers mm -hmm. from the 19th century and into the 20th century yeah. uh, and I like to think uh, with, for example, our first concert, Voices of Protest, we've focused on, inevitably perhaps, uh, the degree to which 
composers write music in a time of strife when they feel that they have to protest against injustice. Mm -hmm. But they can be doing that, after all, on both sides of the divide, can't they? Yeah, absolutely, and I, I think uh, it, this just is just another example of the way that uh, um, musicians are part of society. So they have to respond to the pressures and tensions both in their own lives but also in society as a whole. And uh, so I think the way in which uh, they choose to respond um, to uh, both their own life experiences but those of other people as well is a key part of this and um, protest uh, you know is a, is a key element about the way that uh, people voice change and again uh, we talked earlier um, about uh, the way that uh, people's uh, um, people are seen as part of um, themselves and as part of society and therefore protest is also part of this about whether it's possible to challenge the orthodoxy or not mm, and mm, mm. how that challenge is, is brought in and uh, often in musical terms that's really really interesting in the way that these are woven in they're not just a, um, a label that's added uh, in terms of a protest but they're working through um, the, uh, the the music itself in terms of the way that it's composed as well as the message that is is, is conveying as well and in one sense one of the concerts that I'm most looking forward to in the series is one that we've called Outsiders precisely because it uh, embodies, I think, some of the personalities involved. Uh, Beethoven, Satie, Nielsen, uh, and the Danish composer uh, Rude Langor. And all of these people were in many ways standing aside from, uh, standing to one side of the society that they were writing music in. Mm. And yet at the same time, they were all well-known figures within that society. Mm. I think it's also... And it's there was just, a tension between yeah, them. This represents this, this, this creative tension between um, speaking from the outside and speaking from the inside and the balance uh, between those and also working on the outside of tradition and the inside of traditions. Uh, as we said before, this is where change occurs. If you simply stayed within a tradition and within its boundaries, it, things will get awfully staid and boring after a while because people are just repeating the same things and therefore the importance of change, the importance of history uh, etc is what gives the vibrancy to the continuity of the classical tradition mm -hmm. and the recognition that it is only one tradition amongst many. Well on that note Andy thank you very much I think that's all we've got time for today and thank you to everyone watching and listening. If you want to get in touch, you can find me on X, Twitter as it was, at Peter Quantrill. And if you want to support the work of Mainland Music Foundation, you can do that by going to mainlandmusicfoundation.com, where you'll find all the details of the concerts in Harmony Beyond Music, and I hope that we see you at one of them. We'll be producing more podcasts as the series unfolds. But for now, this is Peter Quantrill and Andy Pratt saying goodbye and thanks for watching.